All right, how many of you remember, or you currently are about to, high school chemistry? How many of you remember high school chemistry? How many of you remember that was a good experience, high school chemistry? All right, good. Some of you are crazy. How about, um, how about college chemistry? How many of you took college chemistry? How many of you took the same class more than once? Okay. Um, how many of you like chemistry? You, 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 you like it? Yeah, I think it's kind of cool, too. I, I do. I like it. How, is there anybody in the room, and both services had this, that you actually have like a major uh, in chemistry? Anybody have a major in chemistry in this room? Really? Gosh, you're smart. And you're weird. I don't understand that. Um, we all, we all, I don't, I can't even see who it is, so I hope you're not a first-time guest. Um, we, we, we all kind of know that people who do well with chemistry have set themselves up for pretty good potential jobs. I mean, if you've got a chemistry major, a chemistry degree, we know that that's something that's, you know, brimming with, with potential. Uh, it's actually absolutely the same thing with, with relationships. People who do well with chemistry in relationships do well in life. And people who do not do well with relationships do not do as well in life. If, if you've got chemistry in your marriage, it's, it's going to be a good marriage. If you're working toward that, it's going to continue to be that. If you understand chemistry raising kids or grandkids, it's going to go well for you. I remember my, uh, my grandmother. I was about 15, 16 years old, and she gave me the best advice on chemistry. And my grandmother's like frumpy and old, and you know, I'm thinking, what in the world does she know about love and romance? And, and, and she gave me the best advice I have ever heard. I've never heard it yet, uh, somebody giving me that, that kind of advice. When Dean and Jonathan and I um, hire people here, here at Harborside, we, we go by the three C's. And the first C is, is obviously character. Is that, is that true in the business world too? I would think it is. You got to have character. But, but think about this in church world, you got to have character, right? Imagine not having character in church world. Number two, you got to have competency. So the second C for us is always, you know, some skills. But number three is chemistry. And you have to have chemistry. A team has to be able to have, you know, to chemistry with each other. And so for the next uh, five Sundays after today, we're calling this a crash course in chemistry. And it's a crash course because each one of these weeks could be like mini-series. And what we're going to do is we're going to put the burden back on you to do further research and further information. We're just giving you a little snippet. But today... Um, I don't want you to walk away thinking that today is just for people who are single. Because what I want to do today is I want to talk about the principles for success as a single. Now, you may be married. However, you may be single again. Or you may be a widow or a widower. Or, you, you don't know. And even if you're single or even if you're married, I want us, I'm going to give us three principles here in just a minute for success in chemistry with, with, with singles. Uh, th- these principles, everybody can embrace. In fact, I would like for us all to be able to repeat all three of these and share these universally now, kind of like for the rest of our lives, because these three principles will set us up for amazing success. So this is not a sermon to singles. This is a sermon about success as a single. And again, you may be single, you may not be single, you may be single again, you, you don't know. 
But these are three principles. Now, these are not original. I've learned these over the last 30 years from the legends in our faith. And they've all kind of say the same thing. It's the Billy Graham, it's the Charles Swindoll, it's the, it's the Charles Stanley. Some of those living legends today have said this, not exactly the way I'm going to try to present it today, but I, I've, I've picked up on this, and they've all said, you know, these guys have had ministries for 50 and 60 years. This is success. So I'm going to give us three principles. Ready? Man, the chemistry in this room is high right now. It's, it's exciting. All right. Now, the first principle might not like supercharge or turbo boost chemistry. However, it will pull the plug on chemistry. And the first principle is if you're single and you're moving toward marriage or you want to move toward marriage, the first principle is get out of debt. That's the first principle. Now, why is this such a big deal? Well, first of all, there's never an easier time in your life to get out of debt than when you're single. And the reason why this is so important is because you bring this debt to the marriage altar. At some point, you have to introduce to your fiancé, you have to introduce MasterCard, or you have to introduce Visa, or you have to introduce, you know, Sun Toyota Finance or GMAC or whatever. At some point, and and all of a sudden, you don't become as attractive anymore because you've got a bunch of debt. You got a whole bunch of student loan stuff going on, and all of a sudden you become less attractive. You're not quite the catch that you were before we understood all of this amazing debt in your life. Now, what happens is when this debt comes into the marriage, and it, it will come into the marriage, it now becomes everybody's problem. It was the single person's problem, now it becomes the married person's problem. Just a few minutes ago, between services, I thought they were a young couple. They were a fairly young couple, early, early, I think early 40s. Three, third marriage is for both of them. Both of them had, this, this is number three for, for both of them. And, and they said we were spot on, that this, this came into the marriage. That, that when this got into the, introduced and found out, this created tension. This created amazing problems. Now, here's what Proverbs 22, verse 7 says. Proverbs 22, verse 7 says, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. And, and, and so all of a sudden, this becomes a heavy, heavy weight within the marriage. So principle number one, we're going to come back to all three of these. Principle number one is get out of get out of debt. All right, you're very enthused about that, I can tell you. Principle number two is stay out of bed if you're single. Stay out of bed. If you're married, God says jump into the bed with your spouse. But if you're single, if you're single, stay out of bed. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, this is the 21st century. Are you kidding? This is what we do. This is just how we've, you know, experienced and figured things out. I'm telling you, principle number two is stay out of bed. Even secular psychologists are writing about this today. Here's why. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says this. Flee from sexual immorality. Okay, why? Because all other sins a person commits are outside the body. Now, let me, let me explain this. Just leave that verse up there for a, for a few minutes. Every other sin you commit, greed, envy, thievery, those are all hurt other people. This one hurts you. 
This one comes back to you. All other sins that you commit, they're outside of you. When you sin sexually, it affects you. I, I know what you're thinking. This is the 21st century. Are you kidding? Well, I want you to know this, that when Paul wrote that verse, Paul was writing to a culture that makes us look like we're repressed and out of touch with reality. Paul wrote to a culture where the guys own female slaves. Now, how do you think that abuse took place? He's writing to a culture where they weren't just doing, you know, pornography like today in some room or some office. It's a temple. It's a great big temple. Everybody's walking around. It's just temple cult prostitution. Paul is writing to the city of Corinth. He's writing to Ephesus. He's writing to Rome. The Roman perversion makes Tampa look like Candyland. So, so this is not like repressed. This is written to a culture that everybody pretty much is involved with sexual immorality. But Paul says, you know what? It affects you. Every other sin affects others. But why should you stay out of bed if you're single? Because it's going to harm you and you become less and less attractive. Number three. Number three is called clean out the closet. I didn't say come out of the closet. <laughs> Number three is clean out the closet. Now, my closet does not look like this, all right? In fact, I pay Emily to clean my closet. I really do. I put my shirts in order. But, but why, why do we want to do this? Why is this so very, very important? Well, let's jump now to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. And here's what Ephesians 4.31 says. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. Why? Because when you get married and all that stuff's within you, you bring that to the altar. Your closet could be full of anger. Your closet can be full of rage. You see, when you get married, you bring all that stuff going on inside of you to the marriage, and now there's problems, problems, pressure, pressure, pressure. And so Paul is saying, get rid of, deal with all this stuff. There's never an easier time to get out of debt. There's never a better time to stay out of the bed. There's never an easier time to clean out the closet when you're single or you're single again. This is the time in your life to do this. So if you got all that stuff going on inside of you and your fiance's got some of that stuff going on inside of you, how is that chemical reaction going to work? What if, instead of that verse going on inside of you, the very next verse you got inside of you? You got kindness in your heart. You got compassion going on. You're able to forgive one another. And so all of a sudden now, instead of having all this gunk and junk in your life, you've now got peace going on in your life. Now, why are these three things important? Why, why are all three of these critical for success toward marriage or, or success in giving advice to, to other people? Here's why. why. Why do you want to get out of debt? Why do you want to stay out of bed? Why do you want to clean out the closet? If you don't do this, you become the very person that you despise, a hypocrite. If you don't do this, you become the very person that you actually don't even like. 
hypocritical. Because nobody in the room wants to get involved with somebody who can't understand why they're in debt. And, and so you become a hypocrite if you don't work on you, right? Let me look for this next little verse that's going on up there. Jesus talks, go, 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 go to this first sentence right here on this one, if you would, Deb. Why would you want him to work on him, but you not work on you? Well, that's hypocritical, isn't it? You see, you don't want to marry somebody that's in debt, you don't want to marry somebody that's getting in deeper and deeper and deeper in debt. So if you don't want that kind of a person, why wouldn't you work on you? Why wouldn't you become the kind of person who get, gets out of debt, right? And, and nobody's over here going, gosh, you know, I sure hope, you know, my future spouse has lots of experience. In fact, you call her up or call him up and, you know, you don't have any experience, I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll tell you what we'll do. You go the next year and get some good experience then I'll call you. See, nobody wants that. No, nobody wants, so, so if you don't work on you, you be, I, know, I think that's funny too. Go ahead and laugh. It's all right. You can laugh. If you don't work on you, then, then you become a hypocrite because you, you don't want that. You don't want somebody who's doing all this. You don't want somebody that's all steeped into this. That's not what you want. And, and this last one, I mean, you think about the closet deal here. Nobody, nobody really wants to marry somebody with daddy issues, right? Or with mommy issues. Nobody really wants to get involved with somebody who can't understand why, why they get angry and why they get upset and why they... So, so here's what we're going to do. See, I, I'm going to put this back on you. Because this is a whole mini-series on getting out of debt. And Dave Ramsey, we could share the top 10 reasons from Dave Ramsey on why you get out of debt. And we could share Dave Ramsey's top 10 reasons on why you keep in debt. And the reason that you're in debt, it's not that you're not smart enough. You just got some really bad habits, right? But you, you got, this is a crash course, you have to work on you. You have to figure out why you keep overspending. You have to figure out why you keep buying certain things, bigger, brighter, faster, shinier, tinier, whatever. You have to figure out why because you're trying to feel better about yourself. And so I, I, this thing about debt goes so closely with this thing over here about the closet, but it's a crash course. If you walk out of here today and you don't do any research on this and figure this out, then you've wasted your time. So I'm putting this burden back on you. There's a reason why you're in debt. And there's a reason why you keep buying certain things. And there's a reason why you're trying to impress other people. And there's a reason why you're not fiscally responsible. This is something you've got to figure out. And this is, if you don't, you see, you become less and less attractive. Now, conversely, though, when you're in debt and you're about to be engaged and you see that your fiancé sells something to try to get out of debt, you go, you know what? He was a little short for me, but he just got a whole lot taller. Click. You know, you see that she's in debt, but she got rid of some gunk and junk and she sold it and she's less in debt. She just got a whole lot more attractive. Do you, do you see what this does? This actually moves you toward romance. It moves you toward attraction. 
Now, in, in this area, I mean, most of us in this room are adults, and we're in the mid-low 90s with problems here, all of us, and we've had this in our background, and I, I get this, and you get this, and we're all adults, and, and we understand this. But nobody wants this to be a real problem. And so what happens in it, if there's not responsibility beforehand, then there's not trust after I say I do. And so what if this person, you know, they, they moved in seven or eight years ago with, with a boyfriend. They moved in and, and then, you know, it didn't work out, so we moved out. And I thought, you know what, That's not, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not ever going to do that again. I, I'm going to live the right way. Check. That, that person just becomes a lot more attractive. Or the guy says, you know what, I, I was raised in the church. My grandparents took me to church. My parents took me to church. I had a great youth pastor. You know what, I, I'm not going to jump in bed with anybody until it's my wedding night. Now, how attractive is that? Check. That, that's incredibly attractive, isn't it? And so people over here are going, you know what, I, I know I've got some, some struggles. I know I've got some issues, but, but I'm not going to ignore it. I, I'm not going to pretend that I've got it all together. I'm, I'm going to listen to the people around me. I'm going to make progress. I'm going to, I'm going to work toward all this. Check, and then you begin to, to do that. Now, let me say this. You cannot listen to a thing I've said this morning, and you can still go to heaven. You can. You, you, can, you can get in debt, get more in debt, jump into deeper debt, buy more stuff, not pay stuff off, and, st- and still go to heaven. You, you can give your life to Christ and, and not practice sexual integrity and still go to heaven. You, you can be over here and give your life to Jesus and still struggle with anger and greed, and, and you're still going to make it. You're still going to make it. So why is this so important? Well, I want to explain that. I want to explain that. So here's, here's why this is important. The Bible, it is not a record of the blessed good. The Bible is a record of the blessed bad. You read through all these different characters. You, don't, you get to Genesis, you get to Exodus, you get to Leviticus, you get to Numbers. You just keep rock, rocking and rolling. The Bible's not this great big record of how these people were great, 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 great. The Bible's a record of the blessed bad. The, the Bible's not a story of how good people, the best people, worked their way up to this perfect God. The Bible's not that story. The story of the Bible is this amazing, perfect God left heaven and he came down to the worst of sinners. The focus, the focus of the Bible, it is not on the work of the redeemed. It's not talking about how great we are. It's not the work of the redeemed. The Bible is all about the work of the redeemer and how the redeemer came to redeem these bad, imperfect, worst, crazy people. And so when we talk about the gospel, 
the gospel is so much bigger than what most of us grasp, and I'm going to now try to attempt to share the gospel, because most of us in this room, I think we think we know the gospel, but I think we only know a third of it. I think most churches teach a third of it. I think most groups teach a third of the gospel, and these pieces, these three components, are a part of the gospel. So give me just a minute to get there. The gospel is not based on what you do. You go to a lot of different churches, and they're always telling you what to do, what to do, what to do. And you got to do all these great things in order for you to be able to somehow measure up. But you never feel like you can measure up. Because no matter what you do, you got to come back the next week and you got to do more. And no matter what you do that week, you got to do more and you got to do more. And you can never pray enough, you can never give enough, you can never serve enough, you can never read enough scripture. You got to do more, 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 more. The gospel is not what you do, the gospel is what he did for you. The gospel is not what you're able to accomplish. The gospel is about what he accomplished on the cross for you. The gospel is not what you're able to finish. The gospel, as Jesus said on that cross, it is finished. The gospel is not your love for God. I think you should love God. But the gospel is not your love for God. The gospel is God's love for you. The gospel is not your obedience. I think you should be obedient. I'm talking about obedience today. But the gospel is not about your obedience. The gospel is about his obedience for you. The gospel is not about your performance. It never has been, never will be. The gospel is about a man named Jesus of Nazareth came from heaven to this earth, lived a perfect life, sin-free. And his blood was shed on a Roman cross at Calvary so that whoever believed in him could have eternal life and all their sins forgiven. The gospel is not about your sacrifice. I think you should make sacrifices. I absolutely do. It's just not the gospel. The gospel is not about your sacrifice. The gospel is about his sacrifice for you. And so we love John 3.16. That's one third of the gospel. We love John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his son, whoever believes in him. And I think you should do that. Absolutely, hands down. I don't personally know why anybody would not become a Christian. I, I don't get it. And so the first part of the gospel is... Christ died for your sins. And I think we get that. I think most of us in this room can walk out of here and we say, what's the gospel? We would say, Christ died for my sins. And we get that. But then we scratch our head and we're going, well, what do we do next week? If I accepted Jesus and Jesus forgave me of my sins and, and I'm like 40 years old, I'm going to live another 40 years, what do I do like the next 40 years? Do I just keep coming back to church and throwing in some money and, and just kind of like singing the songs? What, what, what is the gospel? Christ did die for your sins. That's absolutely right. And he died for your sins so that, number two, so that Christ could now live in you. He wants to live in you. 
Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He didn't just die for your sins. That was first. That was huge. That was tantamount. But the second component of this is Christ, he lives in you. Jesus Christ lives in you. And then the third part of the gospel. The third part is part that we rarely understand because we all think life's about us. We kind of get the first part. Jesus died for my sins. I don't want to go to hell, so I'll accept Jesus as my Savior. We, we get that. I'm not sure that we all grasp that once we become a Christian, Christ lives in us. But we felt that. Oh, how we have felt that. We have felt something supernatural inside of us asking us to do something, to go something, to be something. We have felt something supernatural inside of us. And we know it's not us. It's not our parents' voice from 10 years. We know it's God. So we kind of get number two. But number three then, Christ died for me, for my sins. Christ lives in me so that so that Christ can live through me. He wants to live through you. He wants you to wake up every morning and not say, help me, bless me, give me, make this day about me, give me the business deal, give me the date, give me the... He he wants you to wake up. You see, Christ died for your sins. That's great. You got to have that. He lives inside of you. But number three, he wants to live now through you. And he has an agenda. And Christ wants to be able to use your hands and your feet and your mouth and your skill and your money and your talent and your whatever. And so we wake up, number three is we wake up and we say, I'm your man. What do you want me to do today? I'm your woman. I'm your high school student. I'm your college person. I, what is it you have in store for me? Most people never get number three because you go to a church that just makes you feel so guilty all your life. You can never, you know, I, just, I can't ever get there, but Jesus died for my sins. My gosh, okay. No, he's come to live in you. That's his hope of glory, Christ in you. But the number three is, this is what he really wants. You give him number three, your life will never be the same. You allow number three to happen, you will forever have purpose. You will forever be challenged. You will forever have a, have a, have a worldwide purpose in your life. Christ, you get to live through me. My skills, my resources, my time, I'm going to let you live through me. And that's that's really the power of the symbol of Christian baptism. Christian baptism is where you die to yourself. And that's when Christ then gets to live through you. Until you die to yourself, you may have your sins forgiven. You see, there are people that do all, just keep, you know, even though these are like, really wise principles. This is smart. There are people who blow through these stop signs 100 miles an hour, right? There are people who blow. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I'm not about to do this one. That's right. 
There are people who blow through these. I'm not about, this is too painful. I'm not going to work on me. I'm not going to ask why I do these things. And yet Christ has come to transform you and to change you, not for your benefit, for his benefit. Somebody else walked out of second service a while ago, and um, another husband and wife team, and they came up to me and they said, I never really understood until last service that the gospel really was for Christ. I always thought the gospel was for me. But that was, I didn't even word it that way. Well worded. This powerful, potent gospel of Jesus Christ. And so why wouldn't you be baptized? Why wouldn't you take on that death and that peril and that resurrection of Christ? Why wouldn't you identify with the greatest event in all of history? That's what Christian baptism is, an identification with, with Christ. He died for your sins. He buried your sins. And then just as Jesus rose from the grave, you too rise to a brand new life. And that life is a white knuckle adventure when Christ gets to live through you. So we've got baptisms this afternoon. I think we've got 45 or so people signed up already, maybe more from the last service. But we'll baptize 50 or so people probably today at Honeyman Island Beach at 6 o'clock. Come early. The parking's free. Tell them you're with Harborside. Follow the signs. But if you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ, I encourage you to surrender your life and to publicly make that profession of faith by going into a watery grave and burying your past with him. And then, to, we're not going to hold you down there for three days. Although I have been offered 50 bucks for a couple minutes. Just as you come up, you rise to, to a brand new life. Now see, I, I think this is really wise. And I've learned these three from a lot of the living legends in our faith. It's wise to get out of debt. It makes you more attractive. It's wise to be exclusive and to have sexual integrity. It's wise to work on you and clean out your closet. You become more and more attractive. I'm going to give you a chance to become a Christian this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front and kind of spread out over here. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I don't know why you wouldn't. It's a great, great offer. So today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, come down front. I want to give you a chance to go be baptized this afternoon. Sign up at the guest service desk. Just ask somebody, where do I sign up for my baptism? And sign up, and we'll baptize you tonight at Hummel Island Beach, lightning uh, free, hopefully. If not, Jonathan's in the water. <laughs> but um, maybe, maybe one of these three have been a little bit more of a challenge today. And you'd like special prayer with somebody over one of these three areas. Just swallow your pride. Swallow your pride. And come down and ask for some help. And they'll pray for you. And they'll pray with you. And they'll pray over you. Okay? So uh, we got five more weeks of this. You going to come back next week? All right. 
All right, let's pray. Let's pray. To the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only true God, be glory and honor forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you.